0: Hey, my friends, it's Isabella here, the World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. This woman is amazing. She has so many elements in her world that she can share. How brought her in not only to win these amazing awards and compete and persevere in times when was really beginning of woman era in professional sports, but how she continued to be the life champion and what she's currently doing to change the lives Without further ado, let me introduce you to Christy Perham. Hi, Christy. How are you? Hi, Isabella. I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's absolute pleasure. I, I know it's so much the story, but I wanted the others to really sit on the edge of their seats as they listen in this powerful share that you're about to give us. Uh, and it's such an absolute privilege and a great gift for our global audience here. Uh, We're here on the Legacy Leader Show, and your legacy, oh my goodness, it keeps giving. It keeps giving. But before we go there, do you mind telling us how did you start first of all, to have such a great passion for sports, specifically swimming, and what was your journey early on to dedicate your time and efforts to become Olympian? Um.
1: I grew up in a family of athletes, um, from my grandparents and aunts and uncles to um, my parents and cousins and, and just was constantly surrounded by athletes. My parents were teachers and coaches um, after their time being collegiate athletes. Um, so for me, I think it's probably very similar to someone who grows up with a lot of musical instruments or speaking several languages, like it's just something that is part of your life that at the beginning, when you're young, um, you just kind of assume like, this is how everybody lives. You know, everybody has their after school daycare is their dad's basketball practice or, you know, everybody shags balls at, you know, their mom's softball practice or whatever. So, um, for me, like my beginning was, I don't even remember a time where I didn't know sports. I don't recall a time where it wasn't on TV or where my brother and I weren't participating. Um, I don't remember ever not being able to know how to swim. So, you know, I feel really lucky in that way in that athletics was always something that was encouraged for me to do, um, not to be an Olympian, but just to go and participate in, and be a girl out there, you know, crushing what I did. So, I, so like, there's no specific beginning for me.
0: Wow, it's amazing. Must be amazing to live and grow up into that surrounding where it is sports considered as the normal day of, of living and being part of it, and also being surrounded with people who really value sports because that's one of the avenues that bring us closer together. So before you decided to which direction you want to take, obviously you had a lot of talent, athletic talent. How did you select swimming? Um, well, actually I really did a lot of
1: other things. Um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, in elementary school, I would go to all comer track meets. I played basketball and softball. I ran track and, you know, I was on a swim team, obviously. Um, but I, like for me, I, I enjoyed swimming and I was successful in swimming, but really sometimes like what you do as you, grow and, and, um, find your skill level or whatever, it kind of picks you. So like, I really wanted to be a superstar track athlete. Like I told my parents when I was very young that I was going to be an Olympian in track. Um, I, I wanted to be Evelyn Ashford and, um, just was so enamored of track and field um but then you get a little bit older and um I really love team sports so I really fell in love with basketball but clearly like I just was always more successful in swimming and the opportunities to do it at a really high level in college were there for swimming where I probably could have done the other sports but not maybe at, at as a successful level so um I think it
0: kind of picks you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm glad I picked you, obviously. Every now and we now then it back was a very valid reason for. So before you c- could even realize that you are so good and you're going to be able to compete and see if you can make it and get cut in uh, top echelon of the top of the top uh, athletes for Olympics. Do you mind sharing what level of dedication you have to go uh, to truly be that super good and how that really uh, affected rest of your life? Obviously, being disciplined, being so dedicated to something uh, that really shaped you who you are today. Yeah, I,
1: you know, when when you're in the middle of it, you aren't I don't think you're processing it the same way. Um, So I feel really lucky that I had coaches that could see my potential and could guide me and kind of take the qualities that w- were going to make me successful in swimming, but then be a successful grown up and, and kind of steer them in a way so I could continue to progress and grow. Um, you know, I think having, I mean, being very singular minded, you know, and, and very goal oriented, I'm, I'm, you know, when they, you train dogs, you're like, oh, they're very food oriented or they're very, reward-. yeah, I'm very much a reward oriented person and sports really feeds into that. Um, but I feel it's really important that I was not a really high level swimmer when I was 10, 11, 12, not even really in high school because I did multiple sports. So I'm I think part of my success is directly attributable to being a multi-sport athlete in high school because it kept me injury-free, it kept me hungry, it kept me from being burnt out. It gave me perspective of um, working it within an individual sport as as a relay member or working within a team sport as a basketball player and. Um, just always, I always had something fresh coming up, like three to four months down the road, you know, um, fall was swimming, winter was basketball, spring was track. And so those, you know, having good coaches, um, obviously having really, um, you know, parents that kind of had already walked that path, but also never really getting burnt out on what I was doing, I think, really helped me get to college. But then in college, I think, Some of it is um, luck and timing. You know, you have to be willing to be guided and coached. And I think when you're really young or immature or both, um, you just have to luck out to have a coach that is willing to be patient with you. So you can, like the world is full of talented people that don't accomplish anything. Either they're not coachable, they don't get the right coach at the right time, Um, they're not ready to receive that kind of guidance, or maybe that's just not even their goal, you know, and all of that is okay. So, um, I think like being really true to myself and understanding that that was really what I wanted and not, um, doing it because someone else wanted or being told that this is what I should do, but also like having a coach that said, this is what you're capable of and I can help you get there. You know, so I think it's very much, I mean, I think you can make the luck happen and you can really want it and you can really work hard for it, but you have to have the talent. But if you have a lot of talent and you don't have a coach that can guide you, then you, you might not achieve it. I don't know. And, and like I said, timing and maturation. So it's really just like a
0: once in a lifetime way to bake a cake. (laughs) (laughs) that is so true and 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 you spot on because sometimes we have kids that have so much passion but they don't have much talent no matter how much coaching it's being invested in them and then you have a kids who have exponential talent but they have an interest in so many different things and don't want to dedicate themselves uh, to demands that require to truly master things on that level of pro level which obviously you did and you mastered that after you graduated from high school. And when you did, uh, when was the first time when you really heard um, you are going to be tried for Olympics? And how, what was that feeling for you? Um, One of my
1: first club coaches, um, as I aged a little, I think I was like 13 or maybe, yeah, I think I was like around 13. Um, I made the junior nationals cuts, which is a really big deal in swimming. And it's, you know, for 18 and under. Um, And my coach was an Olympian in 1960, his name was Mike Troy. Um, And he was just adamant, like, I really think you can make this cut. And I didn't even know what juniors were. And so I ended up making the cut and going. And then two years later, I made my first senior national cut. And so like the progression of, you know, someone pushing you to like this first step and then this next step or whatever. So I ended up making Olympic trials and going to Olympic trials in 1988. Obviously I didn't make the team, Um, but it was really important for my new club coach at that time who was, had also already coached another Olympian before me. He was like, "Hey." this is this is where you need to be. You need to be surrounded by greatness and you need to race with the best if you really want to be good. Now, I, at 18, I was absolutely not prepared for that and not um, mature enough really to appreciate that, but I grew into it and I kept like, you know, one step and one step and one step, whatever. So I think 1988 and going to Olympic trials and- i went from like 60th to 30th or something like that i was like oh my gosh like that was pretty exciting and then you i went to my first year in college and i was all american and so getting a little bit better and my sophomore year i ended up being all american in a couple of events you know so the level kept changing but really like the the summer of 1990 at the was the summer of my wrapping up my sophomore year of college and I was having a really great summer and Frank Bush now my like really like coach that kind of helped me achieve the most um he was like I think you need to get a passport before you go to nationals this year and I was like wow yeah he's like I think that you have a chance to make a team and I I was like okay And I wanted that, like, that was definitely now it's in my sights. Like I knew I could be top eight. I knew I could probably be top four. Um, And I, I did, I did talk to my parents a little bit. Like if I get a passport, is that me like being super presumptuous, you know, like, oh, like, I think I'm so good now I'm going to get a passport or whatever. And my dad was like, you still have to do the race. Like, You can get a passport and be all full of yourself. But if you don't show up for the race, it doesn't matter. He's like, so get the passport and don't even worry about it. And so I got a passport, my very first passport. And I went to nationals that year, that summer. And I won my first national title. And, you know, so then when you're on the top, like, it's like little kids with marshmallows. Like you, all you want is more, 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 you know, it's like so exciting So once you got, once I got to that level for me, I was like, oh, oh my God. Okay. Get out of my way. Like I'm doing this now. Like for Frank, it was just like releasing a horse into a field, you know, (laughs) like I, I didn't need the guidance anymore. Like I was ready to go. So like a lot of it, again, like maturation being, having coaches that are long view with you, being willing to like follow your slow trajectory even if it kind of goes like this sometimes um it just you know those doors were opening slowly in order and then when i won my first national championship i just was like oh my god i can see the olympics from here you know um and i didn't need i didn't need any more pushing at that time
0: you know that's fantastic uh so it's it's just the moment when you say see, seeing everything start paying off, right? And then yeah. you don't know how good you are till you really show up and do the best you can. So that lets you to obviously be part of it of 1992 Olympics. Do you mind sharing that experience when you got finally your spot, when you were like preparing, getting ready and how was to be there? I mean, you won two gold medals and one silver. That's amazing.
1: You know, that was like 30 years ago. And sometimes it feels like it was like just a couple years ago. And then yes. other times I'm like, oh my God, I was like such a baby, like that was so long ago. I I wish that I could encapsulate it better after decades of talking about it with family and friends and my own kids and people I coached or whatever. It, it truly is. And I don't know how people that have like made multiple Olympic teams, like, like how amazing that is. I still sometimes can't believe I did it. And then other times I'm like, well, yeah, you worked really hard for that. Like, you know, no one just gave you that. So it's still kind of unbelievable to me. It's still kind of a part of my life that I'm just like,
0: wow, I, that really happened, you know? Mm-hmm. I know you were humble about that, but it's so interesting because uh, when we look at, whether when I was a little girl, I was always wanted to be Olympian. And unfortunately at that time was not much invested in Olympic sports. And it's just the seeing how we all come together and flags and languages and country and nations. And, and it's like all these beautiful parts of the world, right? Like how we come together. But then when you see Olympians standing on that podium, and getting that gold medal or getting that recognition, I felt like that was the must be the most amazing thing ever. So, how was that for you? Um, growing up, I was a
1: huge Olympic junkie, and um, one really defining kind of core memory for me watching the Olympics was watching Jackie Joyner Kersey win a gold medal in long jump, and. Um, you know, I don't know Jackie Joyner, Christy, you know, and I, and I wasn't going to be an Olympian at that time when I was watching her. And, um, but you, like, you don't, it doesn't even matter if you're not into curling, you're not into archery, you don't understand what the biathlon is, you, whatever you like, if you truly love watching that stuff, it literally doesn't even matter. If it's a gold or silver or bronze, if it's a sport you love, a sport you don't understand your country, a different country, a a male, a female, like it's amazing to me how much I loved it before I even got a chance to participate in it and kind of like, you know, watching the 1980 Olympic hockey team, or like I said, Jackie Jenner, Kersey, or, you know, other American swimmers. Um, who later I got to meet and train with and all this stuff. Like it, it's, it's one of those things. Like, I think they'd say, you know you shouldn't meet your idols cause they're not, they're just people, you know and you have a tendency to put them on a pedestal that maybe is, they maybe don't deserve or, you know, you don't really know the whole person yet the Olympics, all we always seem to love the Olympian. Love the person that's striving, whether they win a gold or silver or bronze or nothing. Um, Love the story of them striving to make a team or coming from a country where they don't get a lot of financial support or overcoming injury or loss, you know? um, So for me, like that has always been more of my Olympic memory is kind of the buildup of all of those stories And I am just this little small part of it, Um, but it's a big thing, you know? So um, it's really hard to, if you're an Olympic fan, which I know you are, it's, it's really hard to put into words, having that dream come true, you know, reaching that pinnacle and Um, it's so, it's so finite, you know, it's, it's literally like just a moment of your life. Um, and maybe you get to do it a couple of times and that's great. It's still just a moment of your life, you know, and what you take away from it, the, um, the feeling of camaraderie or the people that love you and support you in your journey. Um, being able to say you're an Olympian for the rest of your life, regardless you if you want anything, I think it's like, you know, all encompassing like that. It's, it's really hard for me and I'm just speaking for myself, but it is really hard for me to explain what years of training. And then I swam a race that was 58 seconds long. And then I was on the podium, you know, it, it's really hard to like, make that be a bite sized thing where you can explain to people because it's bigger than you.
0: Mm, i bet but it's definitely one of those timeless feelings that makes you as you said olympian for life and that trajectory of being in olympics winning, uh being not only olympian but winning medals and and doing something greater and showing what's possible for women in sports for athletes Mm -hmm and generation that came after you, obviously changed and uh, a lot of things that you did since then. Do you wanna share a little bit about how that impacts you um, and and also some of the major decisions and choices you did since then?
1: Yeah, so when my mom was a college athlete, she was actually a two-sport athlete. Um, She played basketball and volleyball and they were so disregarded that they wore the same uniform for both sports. Wow. Then when I got to be a college athlete, um, we got to travel around the United States. Um, Then I made a national team, an Olympic team. And you, you have, you get all this equipment and, um, you know, like not a lot of financial support, but, you know, you got uh, shirts and parkas and, Shoot whatever, you know, just amazing stuff. Now, female athletes in college get outfitted with hundreds of thousands of dot like I'm talking all of them. you know um we We know with nil that we we get to see people like um Caitlin Clark and her basketball teammates play in a football stadium filled with 80,000 people or, you know, something crazy like that. We know, um, you know, women's soccer players and, and women's basketball players and track and field superstars like Shakari Shikari Richardson. And y- y- there's just so much out there. Allison Felix makes her own shoes and, um, Sabrina Inescu makes her own basketball shoes. Like there's so there's so much more out there now. So my mom's generation was definitely a stepping stone that enabled like title IX to move forward, um, more equality in, in women's professional sports, like tennis players are making more money, more equality like that. But then also now more female athletes get to do more sports. There's, there's more equality with just participation. So I feel like I was definitely a big part of just the progression of being able to watch, you know, the WNBA or, you know, the World Cup soccer on, on TV in prime time, you know, and, and I feel like I played a very small part in that because I continued to pursue sports and didn't, you know let anybody tell me oh female athletes like nobody cares about you guys no one will watch you guys like I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Simone Biles is yes absolutely. she's pretty neat. Ma- you know what I'm saying so like there there are female athletes out there that are you know making like a massive massive difference in in the I don't know what what you see and and what you ingest and and what's available. So like, I love it. If I like had a eight year old girl right now, would she be wearing, um, you know, professional soccer, or professional field hockey? Would she, you know, wanna be a swimmer? Would she wear, you know, Allison Felix's shoes or, you know? So I love it. I love that I'm a part of that stepping stone of growth.
0: That's amazing. and I'm again kudo you for uh, being a, such a great advocate for future generations and great proponent. And as I mentioned earlier, not only you lived your legacy, and you were leading your legacy as well, leading others, you also already established so much that you can leave behind impacting others. But you did also something amazing, besides obviously being a mother, being also active member in community, you did something that very few people uh, would ever dare or consider or just simply uh, not understand, uh, which is uh, you became also our organ donor did something that um, it's not as often talked about. And your legacy just alone, even with all of this, is just creating even more and more ripple effects and show how amazing human being you are. So I really wanted to highlight that. First of all, kudos and thank you. But how did this happen? How this transpired? And also how is it connected back to uh, the community of athletes and people that in a close circle and, and tremendous impact as a result that you created by choosing to donate your kidney? so i i found
1: out about it by accident but i it's not um something super foreign to me um people do blood blood donation drives they do swabs for you know marrow transplants and um those kinds of things so i'm not i'm not 100% you know blind to the needs of of what happens in my community um but also Uh, you know, for as bad of a rap as social media gets, that's actually how I found out about it. And so, um, after, and especially I'd been off social media for like two or three years. So I hadn't really been back on for a while. And in this, the circle of swimming, which is very much its own family. Um, I found out that another Olympic swimmer's dad needed a kidney and, I just was at the right time to do that. You know, um, being pregnant is very hard on a female's body. So they don't recommend um, donating a kidney if you wanna still have kids. I was done having kids. Um, I don't have any chronic health issues. I don't have lupus, I don't have diabetes. Um, I've never had any kind of cancer. Oh, wow, like, you know, um, it, it doesn't cost you any money to be a living donor you know so even if if there's someone that maybe wants to help someone but they don't have really good health insurance you don't need it it's already paid for you know so even as a retired military spouse um we have good health care insurance but i i knew i didn't need to worry about that um i don't i didn't have a job at the time that would required really stressful physical activity so like all of these things were kind of coming into play but also like my, my body as an athlete has been like a carrier for really great things. So, um, I'm really, I'm not really afraid to try anything new and I know what my body can do. I'm also very stubborn and I work really hard and it didn't scare me the thought of giving a kidney to someone who would need it when I didn't, you know, you can totally survive and have a really great active life with one kidney. And so, like I started exploring it, but really because it was the swimming family and there, um, I did feel a connection to Dick Franklin because of, you know, kind of his background with his daughter and, and my background. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it is, again, timing, And having the right people around you so you get the right guidance and for me i got a lot of great guidance i had a wonderful counselor that was like hey you know these are the tests you're going to go through do you have any questions um these are some things that might happen do you have any questions if you you know are having doubts do you want to talk about it like you know it's just like having a coach being an athlete and um but instead of benefiting myself It would benefit Dick and his wife, DA, and their daughter, Missy, and her husband, Hayes, and their daughter, Kate, and all of his brothers and sisters and DA's sister. And, you know, it just, the impact, you know, is exponential. And so Mm. if I can do, if I can donate a kidney, why wouldn't I?
0: Mm. I'm so glad that we have this conversation again, as I mentioned, as so many people don't have much knowledge or they shy away or they, it's a lot of stigma, as you pointed out, just through social media and other channels. And when you look at someone like yourself, who is absolutely uh, again breaking the molds in, and stereotypes in everything you do you did another one which is not only uh, putting yourself out there to help uh, someone who you know very well and, and, and in swimming community but also to recognize can I do this and what this means and what implications are and uh, since then obviously you've been living high quality life as an organ donor obviously you don't have no side effects and issues uh, but how is this meant obviously you have- that mental toughness you already have that amazing physical ability and mindset and uh but for everybody watching and listening that want to support but they're on the fence do you mind sharing what were some of the things that really helped you to arrive as you said how can you impact tremendously so many people's lives and and then how the, your decisions changed as a result um how everything turned out for other others like you said mrs franklin's ha- uh, father his wife uh his uh, children and grandchildren now because he's alive he's around he has a quality of life that maybe he would not have otherwise yeah i think the the biggest
1: thing is to understand it's not scary it's not dangerous and and it's um i mean every surgery you know you have da- like having someone cut you open could lead to an infection it, it could be something that's that's bad having a baby is dangerous you know, not taking care of your dental health is dangerous. So, yeah, I mean, I I didn't go into it, you know, blind, but I also knew it's, it's so much incentive for the person receiving the kidney to get healthy. And, and we want to talk about the people that are receiving the kidney or the lobe of a liver and living donors and those kinds of things they care just as much about the the health of the donor because it does nobody any good to be a living donor. And then they don't, you know, they are not encouraging you to take care of yourself or they're overlooking some of your health issues at the expense of like success for the receiver, you know? So, um, I think it's not as scary as people think it is. Um, it also has not changed the my life. Like I, I don't drink energy drinks. I didn't, you know, which I didn't, I'm not a big soda drinker. I don't use a lot of salt. Like I don't have a lifestyle that was where I wasn't taking care of my kidney in the first place. Um, so, you know, those things are all gone over though in the process, which is super pain-free. So just finding out if you would like to consider to be a donor and doing some of the the questionnaires, doing some of the tests that have to be taken care of, it, it's like cutting your fingernails. It doesn't hurt. It, and then later, if you decide, yes, I am a good match, you can decide to be a donor then. Maybe you want to wait a little bit. Maybe you need to talk to your counselor a little bit more. Um, Like no one's required to do this, but I think people think that if they sign their driver's license, that that's good enough. And I would never want people to feel like anyone was, you know, oh my God, why are you not a living donor? Like I, I want to be way more inclusive than that, but only 2% of people that sign their driver's license actually become donors because it, there's a lot of um, steps that are required to give a kidney to someone and make sure that your kidney is is ready to be given. And if you are in a car accident and you go without for a long time and um, go without oxygen, maybe you pass away, like it's very hard for people to be able to utilize your organs. What if you're not even a good match? They have to go through all this testing And they find out you're not a good match, or you already had cancer and you can't be a donor you have diabetes. So just even the process of it is, uh, it's very enlightening and it's pain-free. And so spreading that message has, I know, has already impacted the lives of other people because I have two friends that have already become kidney donors. Wow. Yeah, and so I think as much as I thought at the beginning I was going to be super low-key about this and not tell anybody, I realized that because it was Missy Franklin's dad um, and she's very much an influencer and um, very much in her prime when it comes to being an advocate, I knew that Dick and I would be, our story would be amazing. And I... I realized like, you know, so, like they say, they say, you know, your right hand should know what your left hand is doing if you want to do a good deed. Yes. And the other half of me was like, why am I not going to tell people
0: when this might save someone else's life? Yes. And, you I'm- know, so. And that's why we're so glad to have you here on Legacy leadership Show to share the story and also share what's possible, right? Because we wanted to, education is one tremendous component of it, awareness, but also opportunity to ask questions, opportunity to engage, and opportunity to also look at our individual moral compass, why we're here, what kind of legacy we are creating, uh, and how far we're willing to take it. Everybody is in different places, different stages of life, but it's also opportunity to really look at how can we contribute in such a profound and meaningful way to support another human being um, when they need it the most. Yeah. I think you touched on something really
1: important that I think I noticed after Dick and I decided to talk about it, um, letting people ask questions, you know, um, how was your recovery? Did it hurt? How's Dick? How? Like, how's he feeling? What's the, you know, did this impact the way you do CrossFit? Did you change your diet? Like, just even being open to answering people's questions and letting people be educated about it, I think is going to have. It might not be that person asking questions, but if it ever comes up and someone else in their life, they can say, oh my gosh, you know what? I know someone who donated a kidney, which is exactly what I did. As soon as I started the process, I reached out to a friend of mine who had donated kidney to her dad. And I was like, hey, I don't know if I'm gonna go through with this. I don't know if I'll be a match. You know, Maybe I'll have health problems that are, arise and I wouldn't be able to be a donor. Can I just talk to you about it? And we FaceTimed a couple of times and we emailed a couple of times. And you know, if I'm that person for someone else or their neighbor or their cousin, then we're, we're making an impact. We're changing lives.
0: Mm, I love that because there's so many ways we can do that. And you're doing something that obviously it's not as typical and conventional. It's not what we see occur so much in media, but that doesn't mean that is not important. And it's also really shows, again, who you are, what's where, where you're coming from, and also what is possible. How can we really serve and support others? Because we know so many people that are on the wait list. We know so many people that depend on uh, on so many different things to occur, either as kidney or some other types of or, or, or organ donation, or just frankly support, right? Taking them on emotional journey that they're yeah. at. When we're dealing with the, such a catastrophic um, situations, when it's a dire need, when you know that you're running out of time, doesn't matter, as a health or it's some other aspects in your life, we're seeing so much right now that people are going through and feel hopeless, and you definitely infuse amazing hope and opportunity for others to really look at things from multiple different perspectives. I think too,
1: um, talking about it. Uh especially on social media, especially, you know, people do podcasts or, you know, there's so many ways to, to, um, read about stories on the internet or whatever. I don't think people understand through no fault of their own, how many people are impacted and in need of a kidney or a liver, which you can both do as a living donor. Um, and then you hear one person talk about it and then you hear two and then you hear four and then you hear eight and social media enables that in a mm-hmm. good way it, for the positive stories like Dick and I, but also there are people that need kidneys and they never get them. And it's sometimes it's kids or um, minorities or people that really don't have access to the same connections and the same... Um, people to reach out to and ways to reach out and or they're too shy and and reserved to do it they feel like that's asking like I know for the Franklins it was a big deal for them to ask for help and there, for every dick you know Franklin out there who gets his kidney there are 17 people every day that die without getting a kidney you know so no fault of their own and um but i think if we could spread the word more and explain that more and understand how this affects like um, marginalized communities or people without the same kinds of resources we could get that number down
0: Mm, that is such a powerful uh, perspective and and also great statistic and share because we don't unless Unless we're exposed to something, we don't usually pay attention to so many things in life. And right. when usually it gets to be that, it's kind of already too late or we just don't know where to start. Right. And we don't know where to turn and creating this such a positive global community around such a sensitive topics. It's a huge, tremendous step forward, which I'm so glad uh, that global community can also start looking because everybody gets, in some ways, uh, affected, right, indirectly or directly. And we're yeah. mentioning as uh, such a young uh, lives that can be uh, taken away for something that could possibly be preventable or finding right. alternative. We have a. Moral compass that we need to all follow and opportunities to really dive in and think about it, what do we stand, what is important, which brings a very powerful question and in a closing, obviously, uh, you have, as I mentioned, absolutely tremendous legacy, but what would you like with that, whatever it's left in the bucket list and that this, as they say, quarterback or whatever chapter of your life it's left uh, to be known and remember for Chrissy. Um, I'm really proud
1: of, um, I, I do think that I have a pretty good moral compass and I think that's because of my family, um, but also my friends and the people that I've chosen to surround myself with,
0: um,
1: that, you know, they they say that you are a, a combination of the five people that you spend the most time with, but also kind of what you ingest on social media what, um, books you read or, um, those kinds of things. So I would hope that I could be a good, you know, family member and friend. I hope that I am always looked at as a positive person in my community. I volunteer a lot. I, I try to do a lot of stuff wherever I am. Um, I think like ultimately, it doesn't really matter, because you're gone. And so it's really how you make people feel. Yeah, You know, it's, it's, it's great, you know, for the people that you have a library named after you, or you invented, you know, a new way to, you know, make radios or whatever, like, I, like, clearly that those kinds of legacies are going to change lives ultimately I'm not, I'm not that person. I'm not going to invent that something. I'm not, I am not going to be a a philanthropic person where I'm donating a hundred million dollars for a library, but I've done what I can with a good heart and with joy. And like that, I think if, if, if tomorrow was my last day, I would want people to be like, man, she was pretty fun. She, you know, she's pretty funny. Um, but I know she loved me. I know she cared about me. She really liked her friends. She really loved her family. Like that, that to me is the legacy. And um, I know that Dick and I have a special relationship because of the kidney